All right, so uh, Saturday episode, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to get into it. Um, I have a guest on, and, you know, it didn't take long. NFL season, you know, we're, we're finally here. We're going into week two. Um, we're going into week two of the NFL season. And, boy, I, I told you guys, I was really excited about, uh, you know, the NFL season starting and so forth. And th- just week one was just phenomenal. Like, the games were good. The players, you know, we got to see the stars play well and so forth. That was really good to see. Um, but um, my guest I'm bringing on is a very familiar guest, right? Uh, Kambui Bumani uh, of PFF now, Pro Football Focus. So uh, how, how you doing, Kambui? How, how, how is uh, Pro Football Focus, the new the new place, the new location you're at? And how just how you doing just in general? Man, how I'm doing in general is great. Uh, before I segue into that. Yeah. Man, just have you back on your platform, Isaiah. Uh, one of the many podcasts that I check out anytime that I can. Great content. It's great to be back on. I know every time we make up, uh, the content's great in terms of what we talk about, mm-hmm. about a variety of sports, but especially football and basketball. Yeah. Um, just my time at PFL so far, um, you know, getting an internship has been unbelievable and really being able to be a part of a professional group writing and editing football content is amazing in itself. Uh, it's been a, a steep learning curve to say the least, just to get adjusted within their lingo and their writing style. But mm. um, really publishing that first piece, um, game repad between the Chiefs and the Browns was, was incredible. It was um, awesome to kind of see myself on a published platform like that. A lot of people love hate relationship with PFF, but to finally make it to that point, really everything I've been building my whole life to get to that point was great. It's just getting started. Um, can't wait to continue to work with these guys, and uh, it's been a great experience so far. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I will be sure to um put that link uh as far as your what you the, the the column or the piece that you wrote about the Chiefs and Browns um game that I did see. Uh, I will be sure to put that in the description below so you guys can check that out. Um, really good piece. Obviously, Pro Football Focus. I, you got you guys know I love Pro Football Focus, and you know, uh, the the statistical analysis that they give us and so forth about certain players, certain teams, and you know, etc. Uh, and great, and I, I, and I'm, I'm so great. I was able to, you know, I'm appreciative to get anybody on, but especially you, uh, your con, you, you know, what you bring, insight, really love it. Uh, that's why you keep coming back on. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, so week, so we're going in, like I said, we're going into week two, right? Uh, I, <laughs> it's so funny. Cause I, I saw so many fans throughout the week, either overreact about what happened in week one. And it's always difficult. I, and, and I do a weekly top 10 list, uh, it's like a power rankings, but I do a weekly top ten list every week, and base and I was telling my I was telling my listeners I'm like, the top ten list or people in general the top ten list the first couple weeks it's kind of difficult because we're trying to see what teams are we know we know like the bona fide teams that's going to be there at the end like it barring any catastrophic injuries the Buccaneers Kansas City like those teams are going to be there right. But it's those teams that, you know, there, there's some sneaky teams that could sneak into the playoffs or so forth or could be better than what we intended to uh, to be. Um, and let's just talk about the Browns, right? Because I think I, I when the Browns lost, on my previous episode, I talked about um, 
Baker Mayfield. And this has been my this has been my point about Baker Mayfield. Uh, and Browns fans, they don't like it, but it's, I think it's the truth. And it's this. I think Baker Mayfield is the beneficiary to all of the, to the, you know, he's the beneficiary surrounding his supporting cast. He benefits more from his supporting cast than his supporting cast benefits from him. I think that's just my opinion. I think the offensive line, the running game, Kevin Stefanski and his play calling and his play, you know, him being creative, um, also, you know, the weapons that he had on the outside, et cetera. I think he's the beneficiary to that. And I think a game like Kansas City, granted, it was week one. And granted, Kansas City is arguably or, you know, still is the best team in the AFC. How do you feel about Cleveland? Because I think Cleveland's going to be really good this year. I think I think they're going to win their division. I think they could they could win about 11 or 12 games. But I do think there's a certain way that they have to play um, because I don't think Baker is the most effective when the game, when he's trailing and when he's, and when the defense knows he's going to have to throw the ball. Give me your take on the Browns and what you saw week one. I was very impressed, but give me your take on the Browns, what you saw week one and your take on Baker Mayfield. Yeah. So when I started that football game, it was really Cleveland playing at their apex, at their true best. Mm-hmm. Um, pro football focus, grace their offensive line as being the best in football, and they showed that with their Absolutely. ability to run block at an immense rate. Uh, Nick Chubb was seemed like getting five yards a pop every time he touched the football. Yep, they were pass blocking pretty well, so Baker had a clean pocket to throw out of. But as the game wore on, it became pretty obvious that for Cleveland to be successful against Kansas City, they had to score every time. That doesn't mean they had to score a touchdown every time, but they had to score at least three points. Every drive had to finish with some type of point total being accumulated before they switch sides and the defense goes out on the field. And as the game kind of elongated and went on, especially in the second half, the certain miscues that they had turned to be unsurmountable because when Nick Chubb fumbles, changes the whole complexion of the game, KC gets three. And yeah, you come back after that field goal and score again. But inevitably, Patrick Mahomes starts to hit his rhythm. Kansas City doesn't really fall out of like, flavor offensively they score like 21 points in the second half and that's all said and done so with cleveland and baker and in the perspective looking at the game after the fact you know baker mayfield is a very enhanced game manager and that's not a problem i think when the running game is coinciding with him and he's got protection he's a top 10 15 quarterback for sure but as the game got tighter and Mm -hmm. they just needed baker to make two third down conversion passes yep he couldn't do it on those obvious passing downs and that was all she wrote and the worst one had to be the pick he threw that aside the game he's getting sacked and at the last minute he realizes maybe forcing the issue isn't the best idea but by then the ball's about his hands and it's picked off by mike q so the fact of the matter is in the aoc it's about can you beat kansas city they've won the last two afc title games it's whoever beats kansas city is going to ultimately come out the afc At Cleveland, while their roster from top to bottom looks aesthetically pleasing, they're just not built to beat Kansas City because KC, at every turn of the clock, can get seven at will. And it's because of Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the game. And Cleveland has a competent quarterback of their own. Their best quarterback they've had in franchise history in this century. He's just not top five, and he's not top ten. And I think that's what Cleveland needs for them to be successful. 
also doesn't help that like it's a remodeled Kansas City offensive line. Yep. Uh, the only guy that kind of went off defensively was Miles Garrett. Jadavion Clowney got in the backfield and applied pressure, never really finished on plays, and her secondary got torched as you know Tyree Kill almost had 200 yards receiving, and Travis Kelsey almost topped the century mark. And, and I agree with all of your points. Um, and this is the thing, and this is what I said about Cleveland. I, I picked Kansas City to win this game uh, prior to the game actually happening. La- on last week's episode, I picked Kansas City to win. Uh, you know, Mahomes and Andy, I, I don't think Mahomes, I think Mahomes is 11-0 and 0 in September. So he's he's unbeatable in September, and I think Andy Reid's won like his last 16 games. Like it's It's just so crazy when you think about it how dominant they are in the month of September. But with Cleveland, I, I, I like I told people, I said defensively they got seven new defensive starters. And a, a lot of the defensive starters, a lot of the guys that they picked up, like mainly in the secondary because that was the weakest part of their defense last year was their secondary. I said I like some of the pieces that they got in the secondary. Like I like John Johnson. I think he's going to be really good. It's just a, It's just a matter of, these pieces actually gelling how long is it going to take for these pieces to gel and you saw a little bit of that in week one where new secondary a lot of new defensive starters uh, you know a new scheme and you're going up against arguably the best offense in football and then that's what happens you 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 know Tyree Kill gets a couple big shots Travis Kelsey is doing Travis Kelsey type things and it's just so much to keep up with. Um, so I, I, I totally agree. And to a degree, I do think Cleveland, they should not be ashamed. This is not a um, – this is not us, like, saying Cleveland's going to be a bad team. I think both of us can agree that Cleveland is probably going to be a really good football team. They are. They're going to win a lot of ball games. But I do think when it comes – when you're playing up against a team like Kansas City – um, that can just score points in bunches, and we've seen them go on like Golden State type warrior runs. It's just it's just really imperative on those on those on those passing downs, like those obvious passing downs for Baker. He has to be able to make some of those throws in these big moments in these big spots, and that's where I'm a bit hesitant with Baker and the Browns and so forth and. You know, we could we could talk about like you know Baker has the little contract. He has his contract situation coming up, and we could dig into that a little bit. Uh, and, and and looking at the parameters and how much you would have to pay Baker, but I think both of us can agree, he he's not necessarily a top ten guy. I think Baker at his best is when the Browns are leading, uh, the running game is effective. And he's able to play off of that with the play action. And that that's where he's at his most effectiveness. I think that's where Baker is at his best. But when you're asking him to drop back and pass on obvious passing situations in third and critical third down moments versus a caliber of a team like Kansas City, I do think that's where there's the, there, there's the hesitancy. Um, how good do you think Cleveland's going to be this year? Yeah, I think Cleveland's going to win the North. They're going to win their division. Agreed. Um, I don't know if you saw, you know, all the games that happened week one. Probably did. But I saw basically everybody in that division play. Uh, Baltimore, it's pretty clear. Their offensive line's in shambles. 
So it's going to be interesting to see how Lamar is going to be able to navigate that hurdle mm-hmm. to coincide with the fact that his receiving core hasn't been fully healthy in one unit. Yep. And he's down to his third and fourth running back. Yep. Such as Tyon Williams and Le'Veon Bell and Latavius Murray. Cincinnati, I think, is going to be an underrated and fun young team to watch. That an incredible victory against the Vikings where they were up 21-7. Minnesota came back. A uh, controversial fumble by Dalvin Cook went the Bengals' way. They got the field goal. They're going to be a tough. They're going to be a tough out because they have, in my opinion, they probably when it's all said and done this year, the best quarterback in the division is Joe Burrow. So oh wow! He's going to okay. always keep those guys in it. Um, and I, I think the biggest issue with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I think is going to be Cleveland's competition, is yes, their defense is hellacious. Um, their front seven's nasty. Their secondary is probably going to round itself into being one of the top five in the game. But the biggest issue is their offensive line struggles to run block. Yep. And Ben Roethlisberger can't throw the football beyond 15 yards. <laughs> so I've just named all those three miscues or weaknesses that each of these teams have. And Cleveland, from top to bottom, they don't have those same crucial deficiencies that those other guys in the division have. So they'll be fine and they'll win the AFC North. It's just when playoff time comes, I don't think they're a great matchup with Kansas City. I think the Chargers, if they make it, could mm. you can give them problems. And if they saw Buffalo as well, I think Buffalo could give them potential mm. problems. And what all three of those teams have in common are they have quarterbacks that are better than Baker. Yep. And then they have defenses that can neutralize the running game enough to where if Baker has to drop back and throw it 30 or 35 times, he won't look the greatest from an efficiency standpoint because of the sound coverage and pressure that he'll get in his face. Agreed. Um, it's t- in terms of the AFC North, uh, I think Cleveland probably wins it by a couple games, probably about two games. I think they probably win it. And and, and, I, and I don't need to recite the reasons that you gave about those other three teams. I, I agree uh, with, with your takes on those. Uh, and, 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 and let's just be honest, Cleveland, like their 22 is just better than a lot of those teams, 22. Like their 22 guys is just better. Um I do. I, I the one thing with Cleveland, I, I I wish they had a pat more of a pass rush. I, I know they got Clowney, but we at this point we know Clowney isn't. Uh, we know he's not a high sack volume guy. He's played alongside great pass rushers, and he's still like he just doesn't accumulate a lot of sacks. He's more of a run stopper. He's not really the the pass rusher that I thought Cleveland could really use. Um, on the long on the, on the, you know on the flip side with Miles Garrett. Uh, so that's that. That's why I, I hesitate at with them. Uh, and then obviously the offensive thing with Baker and you know the, the somewhat of the limitations, right? Uh, so we agree on that point, right? Okay. Uh, so let's let's. I want to shift gears to the Rams, uh, the new look Rams. And I tell you something. I tell you something, Cambuie. I I'm really high on the Rams this year. I I I'm really am. And before I did, so before the season started, like a couple weeks before the season started, I did literally every episode, I did a Matthew Stafford segment. And I I, I kid you not, so many people, we either forget the fact that Detroit was bad before Matthew Stafford, and they're probably going to be bad after Matthew Stafford, um, or they're they're trying to depict uh, Matthew Stafford as this savior in L.A., and I don't think he's going to have to be a savior. I think the Rams are good enough. The Rams don't need a savior. The Rams just need a guy who Sean McVay trusts and is comfortable with with expanding and opening the playbook and also a quarterback 
that's going to be able to hit those big shots. Now, Sunday night versus Chicago, we saw Matthew Stafford hit two of those big shots. That was more than anything. That was that he he hit two big shots. That was more than anything Jared Goff had done last year. Um, so how do you feel about the new look Rams? Defensively, I think they're pretty solid, even though they lost Brandon Staley and a couple guys in the secondary. They still look really good defensively. And then offensively, they have the element of Matthew Stafford's dynamic arm, who's a, he, he's able to stretch the defense and so forth. Give me your take on the new look Rams. You know, what feel did they give you? Yeah, I honestly think offensively, uh, it just opens the door even wider for what McVay can provide to his skill position players. We know how good Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are. Um, I have Cooper Cup on my fantasy team, by the way, and his output was instrumental in my week one victory. But <laughs> I think the utilization of Tyler Higby was outstanding, to say the least, because he was involved in the passing game throughout that matchup a lot more consistently than he ever was with Jerry Goff. You have stretches where Higby will be involved, but not as much because Goff really needs to get his passing game at the efficient tip top off of being productive in the running game as well. I'll play action pass. Uh, I think with the Rams, they have a solid team, and I think Stafford allows them to kind of reach places that they really haven't been able to offensively. My biggest fear with the Rams not, is it can be focused within the division and then beyond that because I think they're a playoff team. And Stafford's playoff history hasn't been great, and there are times where Stafford has a tendency to press the situation, get a little wayward, with his arm, as strong as an arm as he has, there's a tendency where you will have bouts of inaccuracy. But also injury history about Stafford, too. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that's been banged up and whatnot. But I can't deny the fact that what he did in Chicago, what he not in Chicago, but against Chicago, throw for 330-plus yards, couple of scores, and you can just tell how dynamic that Rams offense is with them. It's going to be needed. And I think they're going to win the division. Now, Seattle... The Cardinals and the Niners, they're, they're coming. And all of them won week one, so everybody's yeah. 1-0. But I think biggest issues with those teams that the Rams really don't have, the Niners, the injuries on the defensive side, they're mounting up yet again. Will they last defensively when it comes to their core players? Because if they can't, then you can get burned by the likes of Seattle, Arizona, and the Rams because their offensive explosion. With Arizona, uh Cliff Kingsbury is really their biggest hurdle. I don't like how he um, designs their offense. Uh, now, granted, they played phenomenal against Tennessee. Kyler Murray could do no wrong. But as time goes on, Kingsbury is going to continue to have his imprint offensively. And once defenses figure out, you can antagonize Kyler because most times he'll be in shotgun with limited protection. Mm -hmm. What happens if Kyler gets hurt behind that? And then with Seattle, we've seen the song and dance for Russell Wilson before. But I will say this about Seattle. They are at their best when they're balanced and they were very balanced against the Colts in week one, Chris Carson almost ran for a hundred yards. They sprinkled in a little bit of Rashad Penny and Dallas as well at the running back position. And what the bracket covers to DK Metcalf will provide is more one-on-one -on -one opportunities for Tyler Lockett down the field. Promising thing for Seattle, their front seven was antagonizing the very strong front line of Indianapolis with a bunch of no names and vets like Carlos Dunlap. Mm -hmm. So if they can continue to do that, they could be a threat. But the Rams, two best defensive players in the league are on their squad. And then offensively, they have a quarterback that can truly feature the talent levels of Woods and Cup. They're a solid team. Absolutely. And I, I talk about this point 
uh, a lot now. And I think it's important in today's game as far as being a real contender. And I think if you look at if, if we if we can really like legitimately name all of the real Super Bowl contenders right now, I think all of them have this element. And it, and and I often call it like getting getting cheap points, getting cheap points, um, like just quick touchdowns, being able to be explosive down the field offensively, because marching down the field methodically, right? Ten play, twelve play drive, that's great. You can if you can do that, that's really good. But what separates the Kansas Cities and the Buffaloes and um the, the Seahawks and the Rams, the Rams now. They have that ability to just strike so quickly after a run, and and the and the Chiefs do it like the best. Um, but like the Buccaneers, like they they they, they all of these contenders have that ability to add that to, like that quick strike ability with getting cheap points because I think when you <clears throat> in playoff time as the defenses get better, you need to be able to get cheap points. And 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 I like the Rams a lot. I told you this. I, I, tell, I tell my listeners this all the time. The Rams had number one defense last year. They had a great coach in Sean McVay, great offensive mind. But the mere fact that it seemed like offensively, everything had to be perfect, couldn't have no penalties. In, you know, the offensive line had to be smooth. The running game had to be going and like it had to be effective and now i feel like it, it doesn't have to be perfect not like not every play call from Sean McVay has to be the the right play call and i think that's what gives the rams a little bit of the edge within the division a little bit um i think seattle they're very top heavy i think they're very top heavy um and the offensive line thing we we'll see how that plays out throughout the season uh, with San Fran, you know, the Garoppolo situation, obviously, you, they do have some defensive injuries. And then the Cardinals, you mentioned it. I'm not huge on Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think the Cardinals, they have the right mindset. Like, they're trying to be aggressive and win now. But they're just such a, a tough com- competitive division. I just don't see it. Can you talk about the quick strike ability of some of these contenders and how, and, and do you think it's important? Because I I deem it and I find it important in today's game, but do you think it's important and do you think contenders should have that? Absolutely. I feel like being able to take the top off the defense once in a while or just having the threat to do so yep. is going to matter in the postseason because it opens up the amount of possibilities that the defense will have to be honest and pay homage to. And you're talking to a guy that was a huge, that still is a huge Saints fan. Mm. The biggest issue for the Saints, the last playoff times we've been there, Drew Brees' inability to throw the football beyond 15 yards. Yep. So it allows guys to play a lot of um, two-man two man deep. top, mm-hmm. where basically the safeties are way back, and they're basically daring you to make those tightly contested passes you've done all regular season long in bracket covers, and it's a struggle. And so now... Saints are being successful week one against the Packers. I think that's just um, the beginning of what could be a dynamic offense for New Orleans because now you have a quarterback that can take the top off the defense, which is what Drew Brees wasn't able to do these last three years. So taking it back to the NFC West, it's important. I think it's going to shine bright on the fact that the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals have quick strike offenses because they all incorporate the run in some avenue of their attack. Murray incorporates the one with his legs alongside 
Chase Edmonds and James Conner, Chris Carson, and Russell Wilson's legs. And then we know about Daryl Henderson and whenever they decide to play Sonny Michelle in L.A. So having that ability to take the top off the defense allows lighter boxes in the box, which now allows you to run the football three or four yards a pop more effectively, which opens up everything. So, you know, there's some teams like a Kansas City who just struggle to run the football, mainly because their offensive line's new and they're bringing in a new cohesion within that front line. But, yeah, having that deep shot ability is important, especially because it'll be able to translate in the postseason since teams are going to go off of your regular season film to prepare for you in the playoffs. And if in your film you're showing the ability to be a vertical threat in the passing game, they'll lighten the box in terms of how they can cover your running attack. And that'll allow you to really keep that rushing attack honest or not be honest enough to it and you can get solid yardage off of that. So it all plays hand in hand, whether you utilize it productively or just have the allure of doing so because of what you've been able to do productively via the air in the past. Exactly. I, I, I See, and that's and that's the point I try to make <clears throat> as far as uh, when I bring this point up about the quick strike, quick strike ability and being able to stretch a defense. I talked about it for a long time with the Saints and Drew Brees. And like it's in the playoffs when you're playing against better defenses and better teams and better coaches. They're going to drop back in two man deep. They're going to force you to make these underneath tight window throws. And you can make them, but not having that element and that ability in a playoff game um, and a, a team knows it, it's just so much. It's just so hard. It's just, it makes it so much difficult offensively. And then if you're a team that's able to run the ball, that's, that's it, and you like, that's able to run the ball, then it kind of limits your running game a bit because, you know, you got the defense is all up in the box. So I, I, I'm glad that um, you you agree with that point because I tried I, I've been making that point over the last couple of weeks heading into heading into the season. Um, but you brought it up. Uh, the Packers Saints. Let's talk about that game. The Packers Saints. And I talked about this a little bit on my previous episode. Packers didn't look good at all. Uh, and when you and when, and when you lose that badly, that it's not one person's fault. It's not one unit's fault. Like that's a whole collective effort, right? Uh, it's a letdown from the coaches, the letdown from the players, and so forth, right? Um, I do, I, and and I wanted to say this: give some props to 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 Sean Payton and Dennis Allen. Sean Payton had a great game plan offensively. Dennis Allen had a great plan, great game plan defensively. And we went into your point. We saw when you give the Saints a quarterback like Jameis Winston, who I thought I told people if if he could just clean up the turnovers and cut him in half, he's fine. You because Jameis Winston, the the mere fact that he he was able to throw for five thousand yards, like that's only been done. Only seven other quarterbacks have done that. Like you just don't wake up and throw for five thousand yards. So like there is some potential there, but it has to be. That has to be managed. That gunslinger approach has to be managed. And I think Sean Payton is um, the perfect coach for that, you know, you know, with his abilities uh, to really show and blossom. Give me your take on the Saints um, and how you feel about them, because it looks they they look really good uh, and better than what I thought. And give me your take on the Packers, because uh, I think the Packers What I my biggest issue with the Packers and then I'm gonna let you go is their offensive line. 
David Bakhtiari starts out on the pup list, left tackle, really good left tackle. Corey Lindsley left for free agency because the Packers decided to pay Aaron Jones instead of their all-pro center. And then the right tackle, he, he, he left too. So offensive line is kind of in shambles. But go ahead and give your take about the Saints and the Packers. Yeah, I want to touch base on the Saints. For me personally, this kind of signified that they're a playoff team. Okay. Um, I felt like they had a playoff type roster coming into the season. So as a fan, I was like, anything less than the playoffs would be a disappointment. But now showcasing how they're growing or basically played throughout the whole season, they're a legitimate threat to win the division. And I think one of those top tier threats to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they're rivals and they know each other and they match up well with them. If we look at what happened last year and translate to last year to this year, quarterback plays the biggest improvement they made under center that's going to be influenced with itself. But New Orleans, and we saw in week one, they're a physical football team, and they dominated both trenches against Green Bay. They dominated Green Bay's weak offensive line, and then they dominated Green Bay's defensive line by running the football down their throat, literally eye formation, line it up and run it down these guys' you know, neck, and they couldn't really stop it. But I think the biggest thing Winston has going for him is he's locked in, he's focused, he's in shape, and that in shape, is really really translated throughout that football game because he was able to utilize his legs to get mm -hmm. extra yards when the passing lanes weren't there. That's another dimension at the quarterback helm that the Saints really didn't have in Drew Brees, a guy that can take the top off of defense and also utilize his legs as well. So New Orleans is a legit team. Their schedule's kind of light, to say the least. Obviously, you get to play Atlanta twice a year. They're not a good team. Carolina's a young up-and-coming team in the South. Those are going to be dogfights, to say the least. And you do play the AFC East. And while I do like Buffalo a lot, Josh Allen's a little bit wayward. Um, Tua Tagovailoa is still trying to find his way in the league. So is Mac Jones. And the New York Jets don't have a consistent offensive line that will help Zach Wilson. So we'll see if he lasts throughout the year. But hmm. confident about the Saints. I thought week one basically personified what they'll be throughout the year. And as long as they play physical football and Jameis protects the rock, they have a good chance to come out the NFC for sure. Um, Green Bay, you know, a lot of people get wanted to give Green Bay an out because they basically were like, they weren't locked in, they weren't focused. They looked at the Saints as this relocation team that wasn't at the Dome, so they weren't going to be as focused, so they could just show up unfocused as well, and they got demolished. But I think a couple of things that you're going to continue to see throughout the year that aren't fluky is that their offensive line, like you said, is suspect. And while it's going to be a struggle for Aaron Rodgers to be protected, it's also going to be a struggle for them to establish the running game. The last two years for the Green Bay Packers, I think they had top 10 rushing attacks. And I think people ignore that because look at Rodgers' dynamicness last year to win the MVP. Mm -hmm. Since Matt LaFleur came, what he was able to establish that um, Mike McCarthy couldn't was a balanced approach offensively where the running game was a factor. It wasn't just a factor wasn't just like a measly factor where we're just going to do it because we have to. They really incorporated it within their offense. And that's something that's going to be hurt and missed too. And then defensively, Kevin King is still in the secondary. And there it looks like they're not going to move on from him anytime soon. He's going to continue to be a liability. King has all the talent in the world, but I think his biggest weakness is he gets lost at times in coverage. You saw it in the championship game last year, and you saw it with Deontay Harris took the top off mm -hmm. of him for the deep touchdown catch. So, you know, Green Bay is fortunate that they're in a weak division where their biggest competition is honestly the Vikings, but Minnesota even has their own issues, so they'll make the playoffs. 
But to automatically pencil them in back in the championship game, competing with Tampa Bay, I think is forward thinking because right now, in my honest opinion, I don't think they're better than the Seahawks or the Rams. I don't think they're better than the Saints. And depending on if their defense decides to show up or not, a team in the NFC East could give them a run for their money. And I'm talking about either the Cowboys or the Eagles, who showcase that they have an offense to possibly be reckoned with throughout the year to coincide with their style front four D line. Yeah, I mean the Packers, I and I agree. Um Kevin King, you know, they still haven't want you know, they still haven't figured out the second, like they're who gonna be their second guy as, as a defensive back. Or I mean, it's Kevin King for now, but he continues to be undisciplined. And it's costing them. It's costing them big time. And I think the fact that uh, the fact the fact that the offensive line for the Packers, you know, usually they they usually have a really good offensive line. But like I said, as I mentioned, there's some pieces missing. Um, so and, and you and they they're very fortunate that they play in the NFC North. Uh, then the North is, is 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 looking quite silly right now. It's probably it's amongst probably the, the league's worst divisions in football, if we're being honest. Um, but so that's what's gonna you know that's what's gonna get Green Bay by. But at this point, like I said, I don't want to overreact. Right? It's only week one, but it, it's it's just hard to just overlook that type of performance or lack thereof. Where I saw the Rams look really good, and they got to improve. They got and they they got a quarterback upgrade. I see the Seahawks look really good. Uh, you know, I, I see all these. I see different teams around the NFC in their conference looking good, and they got better over the off season. And the Packers didn't. The Packers stayed still. So I do think that is a, a bit hyperbole um, to say the Packers will probably be back in the NFC Championship game this year. Um, I don't know. It's just a lot of drama going on. I just don't like the look of Green Bay this year. I just don't. Not and and, and like you said, I think they're still going to be a pretty good football team. They win ten games, you know, uh, or, 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 or you know, ten eleven games. But as far as getting back and p- potentially getting to the Super Bowl, I don't know right now. Uh, and it's so early, but I don't know. Um, let's shift gears to a team that I find really interesting. Uh, and I'm really glad to see that they're healthy. And it's the LA Chargers. I think the LA Chargers, uh, before the season started, I predicted them to go 10 and 7. I thought they was gonna go 10 and 7, uh, and finish obviously finish second in the division uh in the AFC West behind Kansas City. Uh we saw them play the Washington football team, which was in all actuality. A really good, like a really good road win. Granted, Fitzpatrick got hurt, um, and you know that that you know they had they had to play a backup quarterback and Taylor Heineke, but still, the mere fact that the Chargers, young young offensive line, right, like you know a, a really young offensive line that they just put together, first year head coach, second year quarterback and Justin Herbert, who I love, but. He's playing up against a real defense in Washington, and they look really comfortable. And then we look at what they have on defense on the defensive side of the football. You got Derwin James, who, when healthy, is arguably the best safety in football. And then Joey Bosa, who is probably a top five edge rusher in football when he's healthy. Like, tell me how good – because re- I'm really high on the Chargers. 
tell me how good you think the Chargers are going to be this year because I think they're going to be real. I think they're going to be a lot to reckon with within their own division. And I'm talking about Kansas City and within just the like the AFC in totality, like in its in itself. Yeah, I'm just as high on the Chargers as you are. I think Kansas, I mean, I can't say LA Chargers are going to get a playoff berth in, the, berth in the AFC. And I think when the season ends, we're going to turn around and look at the AFC West as one of those underrated juggernaut divisions that mm-hmm. had a lot of body blows and whatnot to decide the fate of a lot of playoff teams. And I think what the Chargers have going for them is, yeah, they improved their offensive line and they didn't allow any pressures. And Rashawn Slater did his thing against Chase Young. Awesome. It was phenomenal. He looked like the best tackle in his draft class, at least in that during that week. But I think the biggest thing for L.A. was finishing games. Mm. They struggled to finish games under Anthony Lynn, and they had another litmus test to see how could they finish games as a new and improved team. Mm-hmm. And against Washington, on that last drive that Herbert really needs to orchestrate to kind of put the icing on the cake, he made two crucial third-down throws and tight coverage to Mike Williams and Keenan Allen to perfection. And that basically decided their fate for the Washington football team. So the Chargers, they're they're serious. Herbert is a talented player. We saw that last year in his rookie season when he played behind one of the worst offensive lines in football. And he was very efficient for a ton of yards. His touchdown to interception ratio was mind-blowing. We automatically figured out quickly he's basically what Josh Allen became is – Herbert now, right? More enhanced because his accuracy is much more consistent. The biggest, the biggest thing with the Chargers is, like I said, continuing to close games, and it looks like that under uh, Brandon Staley, they're going to do that very well. Staying healthy, Austin Eckler yep. was nicked up yet again coming into the game, and I think he's nicked up after the game as well. He's huge in terms of not just being a pass catcher out of the backfield, but in the but running establishing game. a running game. Yeah, because the Chargers' biggest thing is they have a great, talented quarterback. You don't want that quarterback to continue to drop back 45 to 50 times, no matter how talented he is, because the running game is non-existent. So you need Eckler to be healthy to kind of enhance that. And then defensively, Joey Bosa and Duran James were hurt last year. If Duran can stay healthy, he's going to be huge in matchups against the Chiefs, the Broncos, and the Raiders because of his ability to guard tight ends. He's going to be able to guard Kelsey, Waller, and Font. And then with Bosa, man, I mean, he basically makes – the L.A. Charters D-line go. He's the main reason why the Charters cut ties with Melvin Ingram because they felt like they had another younger version of Melvin on their roster that they could build around. And as long as he stays healthy, he could be nasty as well. You know, Charters got a huge game coming up against the Cowboys. I expect them to win that. And as the season goes on, I think their playoff trajectory will be decided in how they match up with Kansas City. Even when Phillip Rivers was there, they matched up with them very well. Now with a better quarterback, and a defense that's designed to slow down Mahomes, can they possibly sweep Kansas City? And then just really as their schedule, you know, is slowly but surely being eclipsed, playoff teams. How they can do a matchup against teams that are elite, not just in their division, but are in their conference and throughout the league. But I'm just as high as you want about the Chargers. They're a team to reckon with. I think they're going to be a postseason team when it's all said and done. And I'll even say they'll win a playoff game to the boot to kind of set the stage towards a new era of Charger football. I, I agree. Um, And you talk about, like, I, and I said it on my previous episode when I talked about the Chargers for a little bit, nobody is going to talk about the performance that Rashad Slater had week one, but imagine as a first-round left tackle, 
your first ever game debut, your first, your 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 rookie season, the debut of your rookie season, you have to go up against Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and that Washington front seven. And, and the way the like like what he did, that was amazing. That was great. He looked like he like no no, and I I don't want to I don't want to sound too like I don't want to want to sound like too like recency bias or uh i don't want to overreact but like that was a pro bowl level performance what he did week one last week that was amazing and when we and, and, and a little bit to our conversation that we were having earlier about, about baker when it when it comes that when crunch time and when it comes down on these money downs these money downs when it's when these are pa- these are obvious passing situations how do you fare and opposite to Baker, Justin Herbert is, 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 I mean, Herbert is so funny because coming out of Oregon, a lot of people were calling him a poor man's Trevor Lawrence. Like he gives you that type of feel, both six, five, six, six, strong arms, athletic, right? Uh, can really move, can spin it. Um, and there is some Josh Allen qualities in there too. I think he's a little bit more polished than Josh Allen is right probably right now. But Herbert, is there is there a better young quarterback in football as far as like I mean, over the last couple of years, over the last two years? I mean, he the way how he's able to cash in on these money downs last week, those back shoulder throws, those tight window throws, like the dude is phenomenal. How good do you think Herbert is? Because I, I I often just when I watched him on like last week versus that Washington defense, I said he's literally the difference maker. He's literally the reason why the Chargers are going to win this game. Yeah, Herbert's phenomenal, man. Looking at some PFF stats right now, mm. coming into the season, what he had going from last year was his ability to play very well via play action. He had a passing grade of eighty point five. From the play action and then mom non-play action wise, he was had a PFF grade of a 74. In week one, we just talked about it. Eckler's in and out of the lineup. They're not able to establish that rushing attack. So Herbert's literally having to carry this offense on his shoulders and orchestrate crucial passing downs on to execute third down conversions. And his PSing grade, non-play action plays was a 91.7. Herbert's the real deal. I mean, he's he's the real deal, holy field. And I think when people kind of put it into perspective he's kind of in that same quarterback class because they're all like within four years of a Mahomes and a Deshaun Watson and a Baker and a Laura he's involved in all of them but I think he's right up there from a talent perspective as a passer with Mahomes because of his consistency all of these quarterbacks you know Mayfield Lamar Josh Allen they're all young talents like there's talent within their game but consistency is very important. Mm-hmm. Lamar's not a consistent enough passer. Baker's not consistent accuracy-wise when the play-action pass att- passing attack isn't involved within his throws. Josh Allen was consistent last season, but we saw early on this year, even dating back to the playoffs, early his divisional performance to now, he's been very sporadic. So consistency matters with Josh. With Justin, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a good ball. You're going to get some good decision-making. He's going to test the waters and drill in some tight windows, but more times than not, it gets there. And the Chargers are very fortunate to have a legit quarterback on their team 
because you're still able to maximize your receiving talent you have on the outside. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams have crazy catch radiuses. Mm -hmm. They can run a variety of routes. Mike Williams is a deep threat. Keenan Allen is a threat all over the field because he's a route running extraordinaire. And then they incorporated Jared Cook, who is probably a little bit long in the tooth, but he's a factor that can be utilized because Herbert's going to fit it in Cook's catch radius. So he's the real deal. And I think as the season goes on, people are going to realize that. And I won't be surprised when everybody has the quarterback rankings to reassess these pros at the end of the season. You start hearing Herbert's name in the top 10, Herbert's name even in the top five. Because he has all the intangibles, he's consistent, he's he's cool as a melon, and he has a coaching staff behind him that's going to put him in the best situations to succeed. And he's uh, and he's playing under a new scheme, by the way. Like so, <laughs> you know, I did just to add a little bit more context and perspective to it. Um, so uh, I, I'm moving I'm moving towards a little bit of the quarterback conversation now. Because uh, I know you, you, you're a PFF, so you have all the, you know, all the these stats, which I find really good, I, insightful. I have a subscription with PFF. Um, Dak Prescott, his his Thursday night performance. I talked about it a little bit. I felt like he checked all of the questions. He answered all of the questions that was asked uh, um, concerning his shoulder, and, but more importantly, his ankle injury. Right. Uh, and he did that behind an offensive line that was missing arguably their best offensive lineman in Zach Martin, and then versus a front seven who the front probably the, the arguably the best front seven in football with the Buccaneers. You can make the argument. Um, what was your feel on Dak? Uh, he looked really good. Uh, I, 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 the Cowboys as a whole, I think, are very Dak dependent. And I think there's a certain way for them to win games, and it's they're going to be in a, they're going to be involved in a lot of shootouts. But Dak individually looked really, really good. He looked. I thought he, I thought he was the best quarterback on the field on Thursday night, or or you know a couple Thursday nights ago, where he 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 played awesome, out of his mind. Give me your take on Dak, um, and what you saw from him just in week one. Yeah, I agree. I think Dak played phenomenal, played very well. And I do feel like Dallas is going to be very Dak-dependent moving forward because when Mike McCarthy comes into your fold as a coach, you're not going to probably be a good rushing attack because he's not known to produce competent rushing attacks alongside his quarterback. Now, he's had the fortune of having Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers as his ex-quarterbacks in crime with him. So those guys are able to elevate the team with amazing passing play. And I think he's going to be leaning on Dak to do the same. Uh, but what we've seen throughout this league so far is guys like Prescott, um, guys like Favre, their ability to be productive quarterbacks be the main reasons why you're a playoff contending team can work. They can make, they can help you get to the playoffs. They can even help you win a game. But I don't really see you competing for a championship. And the two biggest issues that the Cowboys have is a running game is still a work in progress. It just looks like Zeke Elliott. It's early, but it looks like he may have hit the wall. Yeah. Uh, maybe his best days were behind him when Jason Garrett was calling the plays. And then defensively, they still don't have a consistent pass for us. And our secondary is still a work in progress. Anthony Brown basically got picked on, which was a reminder why Dallas was trying to push all their chips in to get Patrick Sertan before Denver scooped them up with the ninth pick overall. So, you know, Dallas... 
like Green Bay, is in a good position because they're in a division that's kind of weak. Yeah. However, what we've seen so far, and I know you're probably going to dabble into it in terms of the Thursday night football game, the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles are underrated squads. So if Dallas expects to just come in and outscore these teams, they're really awakened. Because, yeah, Washington's defense is still a work in progress, which is what we all didn't think it'd be, but they can reel some stops on you with their pressure. And Dallas' yep. offensive line isn't as wanted as it used to be. And then with Philadelphia, they still have a nasty front four. Their front four was nasty a year ago when they had 40-plus sacks at the team. And then offensively, Jalen Hurts and that rushing attack led by Miles Sanders, they're going to run the football. They can dunk you to death. A lot of clock management, a lot of efficient play, which will prevent a Dak from being on the offensive side of the football time after time again. So that played phenomenal. He looked incredible. But I think matchups like we saw against Tampa are the kind of Dallas football we're going to see moving forward. And I think it'll be good enough to win a division. But there's no guarantee in that realm because the division's very got some underrated talent. And I don't think it'll translate to postseason success long term. Right. And I, I can agree with that. Um, in terms of the NFC East, uh, and we can dabble into that a little bit before we get to the rookie, rookie quarterbacks. Uh, I'm not I'm not sold on Philly. I'm not. I, I, I and I know they they had a, they had, they did have a really good week one performance, but I'm not really high on Atlanta either. So with Philly, I want to I want to wait and see before I give judgment. Um, in terms of how good they're going to be, uh, I do think there was there there were some things that I saw that Philly did, I think could work, and it, like throughout the season. So I'm not just just I'm not just gonna just not count them out or count them out per se, but I want to wait and see more because it was Atlanta and Atlanta. I, I'm just not sure what Atlanta's doing at this point. And then with the Washington football team, defense is solid, but over the first two weeks, and Grant, it's two weeks, but in the the first two weeks of the season. Offenses have been able to move the ball up and down the field on this Washington defense. As time goes on, could they get better? Possibly so. I think they I think they probably will. I think that's a safe bet that they probably will get better as the season goes on. Um, but then there's the quarterback situation offensively. And Taylor Heineke, he looked really good last night uh, versus the Giants. I'm, I'm still not quite sold. Uh, and in Dallas, um, and in Dallas have their question marks as well. Uh, like offensively, offensive line wise, and you know, not being having, not having your best defensive player and Demarcus Lawrence for the next uh, two months or so, I think is really important. Now, this is what I've told my listeners. I think Dallas, the thing that's going to give Dallas a break, and but they got to cash in on it from week two, from this week on, all the way up until November twenty first. Dallas doesn't have to play a playoff team from last year. So I think this is from week two all the way to week 11, I think. This is the perfect time for Dallas to rack up some Ws because, it, you know, that, that tail end of the schedule is a bit difficult and you got some division games. So I think they, they, you play, they play the Chargers this week, which is going to be really tough. But then they play like Philly. Uh, I think they play the Giants. Like so, they got they got some games where it's a, it's very winnable, and they 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 need to be able to take advantage of it. Um, if they if they want to have a shot at 
winning your division and get into the playoffs. Uh, so that's my take on it. Uh, you know, that's just me. Dallas from now until November 21st. Yeah. Like you said they're going to play non-playoff teams, but <laughs> I'm looking at these teams that are being talked about. All these teams that I saw week one that played, they look vastly better than their non-playoff selves. Let's talk about the Chargers. We just talked about how great Justin Herbert yep. is. I think that's an L because Herbert's ability to make all the throws across a variety of platforms against that still end up. Um, Dallas Cowboys secondary will be a price to pay and the Charters have the defense to neutralize Dak enough, not not take him out the game altogether, but neutralize him enough to where he's probably not throwing a party on them. He may throw for 280 and a couple of touchdowns, but maybe a couple of picks too. And then after that, they got the Eagles in prime time and the Panthers, two teams that showed in week one, they're a little bit better than their non-playoff selves. So, you know, that rhetoric's still there. Dallas, I think, needs to approach it as um, – Continue to be our opportunistic defensively with the takeaways. They have yeah. four takeaways, I think. That's something to build off of. Right. So something to build off of. Continue to be that. I think offensively, try to incorporate the running game a little bit more. Um, we, you don't want Dak to feel like he has to play in the elite clip all the time. But as long as Dak is able to be efficient, proficient, not turn the ball over a ton and execute in the red zone, they should be fine. But, you know, Dallas schedule isn't as easy as people make it seem. So, one minute, yeah, you might look at the Tampa Bay game and be like, it's progress because we went toe-to-toe with the champs. But they could also turn around and be like, oh, my goodness, we're 0-4, which is possible. They could possibly go 0-4, mainly because their defense is still the equivalent of last season's. It may not be as bad because maybe this defense could be the more opportunistic than last year's. Like, if we put last year's defense and this year's defense together at the end of the year, maybe statistically from a ranking standpoint, they're the same in terms of being horrendous. But the one thing Dallas may have over last year's is the takeaways. And takeaways are very important, especially with an offense like that that they have. Gives you a short field and you're able to cash in off of that as well. So, you know, Dallas, they're in a good spot. It seems aesthetically, but everything is not what it seems in the NFL. So, yeah, right now we're saying non-playoff, but maybe when they get up to New England, because New England's also incorporating that schedule. That's another team. They lost to the Dolphins, but they played very well against the Dolphins. And if Damian Harris doesn't fumble the football, they win. So they're playing a lot of teams that have already won games. Coming up, that have won games in week one, probably will win more. So Dallas, they they got to make sure, you know, they're able to execute when they can and I think the focus needs to be against the Chargers getting a victory. Yes. Uh, so let's shift to the rookie quarterbacks a little bit. Uh, lastly, um, Mac Jones, uh, who I mean, I haven't been, I don't think I've been critical of. I just think there's a, and I think I had you on like pre draft. I just think there's a realization that uh, he's more of a high floor player, I feel like. Uh, low ceiling, high floor, I feel like. And I think he's going to work in New England. And it's a lot of it has to do with the system and what he has around him. Got an all-time great coach in Belichick. Uh, Their defense is going to be a top 10 unit in football. You got Josh McDaniel, who's a pretty good play caller. And and, and they're not going to ask Mac Jones to go out and be a prolific passer and throw for 300, 400 yards every other week, right? So 
I think he's going to be able to manage the game. He's not going to turn over the football. He's going to be accurate. He's going to do, they're going to ask him to do the things that he's comfortable with doing. So that's my take on Mac Jones. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I think he's in a bit of a different situation. Just like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, I think their situations are very similar. Both first-year head coaches, both have bad rosters, both have below-average offensive line, uh, offensive line play, um, and, and, and both of their franchises are basically asking them, which we all knew they would, but we're seeing it now. And it, we, you know, you know, after one week of play, their franchises, their teams are asking them, "We we're gonna go as far as we as you guys take us." Uh, and Trevor didn't have a, you know, the the the, the stat sheet in his rookie debut, the three interceptions. People dwell on that, but he's actually trying to make plays. You know, he, he's trying to make plays down the field, and Jacksonville's asking him to do a lot on the fly. Same thing with Zach Wilson. Uh, I think the Bears should start Justin Fields, and we'll see what happens with San Francisco and the Trey Lance thing. Uh, he's probably like ideally he's probably in the best situation out of all of these rookie quarterbacks. But give me your take, um, your takes on the on the rookie quarterbacks that we saw uh, week one and so forth. Yeah, I really liked Zach Fields and Mac Jones. I liked how they played early on in week one. Uh, you know, uh, Zach Wilson, considering the circumstances. He was solid. I uh, made some nice throws to Corey Davis, had a nice little rapport and connection with him. But I think the killer for Zach Wilson and the Jets moving forward is their offensive line, which coming into the season we all thought was going to be a positive in terms of the draft picks they were able to hit on the last two years with Makai Becton. And then the guy that they got, Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard from USC, that's not going to be what it amounted to be because Beckton's out with an injury yep. and Tucker didn't look fabulous in week one. So that old line's going to be in Achilles heel, which means we're really going to see how Wilson fares with a, with an even heavier load on his shoulder in terms of being the offense and having to navigate through opposing pressures. Matt Jones, I thought was solid. 29 and 39, 281, one touchdown. He looked kind of like, a semblance of a very, very, very young Tom Brady when he was in the league and he was orchestrating the Patriot offense. A lot of check downs, a lot of underneath stuff. Didn't really put the ball in harm's way a ton. And he had a running game to lead on as well. If Damian Harris doesn't fumble the football, Mac Jones is a winner. They're 1-0. And maybe we're having a different story in terms of him. But I like what he's providing. I expect him to play at that same level against the Jackson for the Patriots to get the first win. So I really like Wilson and Jones, who ironically enough, both hail from the AFC East. Now, Trevor Lawrence was, he was really bad and he was off early, which was quick to see. And it was alarming to see because he's normally not that inaccurate or wayward of a passer as we know him of not being since he's came out of high school, since he's game out of Clemson. The connection wasn't there with his targets. Um, what he did eventually get there at times, it looked beautiful, but then there was other times he was throwing it to the other team where he missed high and it was a pick, where he overread a situation and it was intercepted. He didn't look in sync. And I think what probably could have helped the Jaguars better, especially with an out-of-sync rookie quarterback, is establishing a running game. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that with him at all. James Robinson got five carries. Carlos High got more carries than James Robinson. And we all expected when Travis Etienne went out with the injury, 
Robinson is going to return with some Bell Kyle carry loads, and he didn't get those opportunities. So I think Meyer needs to realize that hopefully that game for Urban Meyer's coaches a wake-up call of, yeah. this isn't college. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent, but this is still the pros, and he's still a rookie. So he's going to need assistance via play call and a running game and maybe a more simplistic passing approach so we can still keep his confidence afloat and not have it completely deflated because he finishes his rookie year with 25-plus interceptions. And and, and plus, they don't have to do that. I know a lot of people love to allude to when Peyton Manning came to the league. He was throwing 20-plus interceptions his first year. The Colts literally didn't have anything offensively but Manning and a little bit of Marshall Falk. This Jaguars offense has LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark, a, an underrated offensive line, and you got two bats you can use in James Robinson and Carlos Hyde. Lawrence isn't bare of talent. The talent is there. You have to utilize all avenues to make his job easier. And then the other two rookie quarterbacks, Trey Lance and Justin Fields, kudos to them. They both got touchdowns in their <laughs> special packages that they were in. <laughs> I, I, under, I understand why the Niners aren't playing Trey Lance. Yeah, Trey I understand Lance too. Isn't there yet. Yeah. We, we understand why. He's raw. The talent is there. I think what is all said and done, he's going to be the quarterback that's going to fulfill his potential and have a peak that's supremely higher than everyone else because of what he provides from a size, speed, and arm strength yeah. perspective. I, I don't I don't get it from Chicago. After I saw it in the preseason what Justin Fields could do, he's starting week one. And I understand people's rhetoric is we don't want him to get killed against the Rams wanted D-line. But I saw the game. The Rams D-line wasn't really wrecking havoc like that against Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's problem was turning the ball over and being a little bit wayward with his passes on not badly designed throws. David Montgomery got 100 yards rushing. They're incorporating the running game. They're utilizing the tight ends. And quiet as it's kept, yeah, you look at the final score, you're like, hey, the Rams washed the Bears. It was 20-14 to 14 midway through the third. Yes. And so I think Chicago needs to look at it like this. Give Dalton one more game against Cincinnati. So the land is going to happen. If you lose to the Bengals, I think you got to flip the script and give it to Justin Fields. I don't know what, um, I don't know what the Bears are waiting on. Personally, Matt Nagy, your job is on the line. It's on the line, or maybe it's not on the line, which is why you're probably like, uh, I'm not going to use Fields because I'm kind of secure. But it's on the line, and also Fields gives your team the best best chance to succeed because the Chicago defense isn't what it used to be two years ago. So you can't get away with just playing Dalton and say we're going to get a veteran that has knowledge, okay, Armstrong accuracy. <laughs> we're going to bludgeon teams down their throat with our physical presence on both fronts, and that's how we're going to execute it there. You're going to need some flash and dash. And I feel like in a division like the North, Fields can come in and maybe save your season. And you have all this weaponry offensively from Allen Robinson, Darnell Moody, David Montgomery, Tariq Cohen, Cole Komet, Jimmy Graham still there. And it's being wasted, Jesse James. And it's being wasted because you have inept quarterback play. And it's not like you have inept quarterback play. You don't know where to go. You do know where to go, and you're just choosing not to utilize them. So, you know, Houston Texas had the same situation with Deshaun Watson in his rookie year. They played Tom Savage for a game. Or not even for a game, for a, for a quarter, for a half. <laughs> And then they realize he's not it. Yeah. We're going to put Watson in and everything changed. Hopefully Chicago comes to that consensus after the Cincinnati game because I think right now all they're doing is holding their team back. And I think the biggest thing 
I don't know if you saw, but I saw what Fields did, the read option, he pulled it, he ran in for the touchdown. The excitement his teammates had for him to score. Everybody was around him, jumping on him, high-fiving him, hyped, because they know he's the guy. They've seen him through camp. They've seen him through the preseason. They know he has it. And I don't know what the front office of the Bears is waiting on. Utilize your franchise quarterback. That you did trade up for because you almost didn't have him. He almost was a Viking. So you traded up to get him. Utilize him within your offense so this team can achieve relevancy in the NFL. You are so absolutely right, and you were reading my mind. I, I was gonna tell, and I was gonna say, you know, this defense, the Bears' defense, has been the calling card of their team. I mean, really, of their franchise, if, if we're being honest, but of their team over the last several years. And I know, I know they they must have a feeling like with Andy Dalton on this, and it's nothing against Andy Dalton. It's more so towards what the coaching staff is doing, or I would question what are they doing, um, because you have a guy. You, I, I know the defensive guys are like, we just want a quarterback that can play. We just want a guy that can play, and this guy, we think he can play, but he's not playing. Um, and 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 when I realized when I, I saw the read option, right, and I and I was telling myself, I'm like, why not just start Justin Fields? If you start Justin Fields, Dave Montgomery, David Montgomery was having his way. Like, to your point, the Rams are like the Rams, I like their defense, but it wasn't causing a lot of havoc. They weren't causing a lot of havoc. Like D David Montgomery was having his way. And could you imagine if you were running read option? And so so the defense would now have to worry about and be concerned, not only the threat of David Montgomery, but the threat of Justin Fields because he's very athletic himself and he has the he has the escapability and the athleticism to make plays with his legs, not only his arm. And then you mentioned some of the weapons that they have offensively. I like some of those guys like I like Cole Komet. I like I like Darnell Mooney. I think he has a chance to be a really good deep threat. But they're young. It's a lot of young. It's a lot of youth on that offense and I feel like you you need something that's going to spark it. You need something that's going to spark because Matt Nagy for for a couple years now has been trying to develop this Bears pocket passing like this Bears pocket passing game and it just hasn't worked out for the, for a couple of reasons. First, their offensive line is mediocre at best. Secondly, like you got to be able to get a quarterback that can give you somewhat of the two of like give you the best of both worlds. And Dalton at this point don't give you that. He just doesn't give you that and he, he's not a he, he doesn't have a strong arm. So I I think I don't know what Matt Nagy is waiting on. I do think he's on the hot seat. Depending on how bad this thing gets in Chicago, I think Matt Nagy might be gone uh, uh, before Thanksgiving. And I'm huge on Matt Nagy. I'm huge on him. But if 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 you can't figure out the answer when it's right in front of you, I don't know what to say. I, I just don't know what to say. And you mentioned it. The division is wide open, kind of. Like, Green Bay, I mean, obviously Green Bay is right there, but – like Minnesota, uh, and then Detroit. I mean, they're too busy biting kneecaps. So, like, like you have an opportunity to do something and try to make a run to keep your job, 
Um, so I, I don't know. I do think Matt Nagy's in the hot seat, though. I agree. Now, maybe Chicago was banking on, look, we're going to get fields. Um, I, I think it all started, let's be honest, it all started with, and that's why it's important with the great organizations they have, Plan A's, Plan B's, Plan C's, Plan B's. You don't automatically come into free agency thinking, well, we just got to do this because that's all we can do. Chicago, for the longest, were trying to trade for a quarterback. They're trying to trade for a Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get him. So they automatically thought, we're going to get Andy Dalton and he's just going to have to be our guy because we're not going to be able to get the young quarterbacks coming into the draft. Then they saw Justin Fields drop for reasons unknown, but they saw him drop throughout the draft process by guys who get paid money and are in cahoots with other organizations on whose stocks should rise, whose stocks should fall based upon what coaches and scouts like. So they saw Fields was dropping, but I don't think they truly anticipated him to drop past 10, which he did on draft day. Right. And when he did, they got him. But I think when they got him, it was like best player available. Let's go get him because we don't have a quarterback at all. And now that they have him, it's kind of like, well, we told Dalton and kind of invested all our chips into Dalton being the guy for a year. So we're just going to make Dalton the guy until we can't anymore. But then you see, I don't think they anticipated in the preseason fields getting a grasp of that Matt Nagy offense, looking fluid, looking dynamic, looking a seamless fit in that Matt Nagy offense. And now we're week two, and they really didn't anticipate the Green Bay Packers looking this putrid. They really didn't anticipate the Minnesota Vikings having injuries on their on their offensive line. They probably anticipated Detroit was going to be bad, but they didn't anticipate the Vikings and Green Bay being that wolf. So now it's even puts Nagy's clock on an even faster tick because let's say the division winner in the North is a nine and eighteen, and the Bears finish six and eleven, and the reason why they finish six and eleven is because the first four games they never played Justin Fields. The That's, Chicago fan base will lose their mind. Yeah, and that will be the end of Nagy. Yeah. So I think the Bears have to anticipate. I think this is what they should do: play Dalton one last time in Cincinnati. If win, lose, or draw, if you win and come Tuesday, you look at the NFC North standings and Green Bay is 0-2, you got to start fields because now Green Bay's in a little slump. They lost to the Saints. They're getting the pass. But if they lose to Detroit, everyone will be like, oh, my goodness, they're in trouble. Maybe this division's wide open. Maybe Green Bay may not make it. And now you bring in that spark in the locker room that can help push your team upward. I, I think Justin Fields has a chance to be a very good quarterback, easily the best quarterback in Chicago Bears history. Hmm. And it's time for Nagy and the Bears front offense to relinquish the rings from what they thought their season was going to be seven months ago into what it is now and let the young guy start. Well said. Well said. And I just don't get it. Annie Dalton he doesn't have any sweat equity within the bears organization. Like, like uh, with the 49ers situation, the 49ers think about this. They move mountains to go get, to go up to number three. Uh, they were throwing out, you know, we saw a lot of, a lot of just rumors about Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones. And then they end up taking Trey Lance. So they move, they, they move mountains to go up to three and move and get Trey Lance. But Jimmy Garoppolo, there's still a sense where, <clears throat> He, at least Garoppolo has some sweat equity. Like, 
when healthy, when last time we saw Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, he was in the Super Bowl. He was one quarter away from winning the Super Bowl. Like that was last time we saw Jimmy Garoppolo healthy in a full season. So there is some type of sweat equity there, at least with Garoppolo and the 49ers, plus they're paying him $25 million. So, like, you know, there's that, that that's enough equity right there. But the Bears, you have no sweat equity with 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 with, with, with Andy Dalton. There's no sweat equity there. So th- there's no like fulfillment that you have to live up to. Um, I mean, uh, unless you set, you unless you told him, but you don't have to live up to that either. Be like plans change, like you said, plans change, things happen. Justin Field, this kid is ready, and he gives us the best opportunity to win football games. But one last question, I'm gonna let you go. I don't want to hold you much longer. One last question. Going into week two, I don't know if you have the matchups in front of you, but going into week two, which team that lost last week is 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 in desperate need of a win, of a week two win? Yeah, I think the easiest answer is Green Bay, but I'm going to put another team out there as well, not just the Packers. I think the Buffalo Bills, too. Mm. Um, and I'm going to touch base on both teams and really give you an understanding of why. I think for the Packers, it's simple. They got a pass week one because they took the Saints as a joke. This was a team that wasn't at the crib playing because of Hurricane Ida. So you're automatically thinking, uh, this team's not going to be fully focused and invested. So we can just lollygag and find our way with a muddling win. And then 12 plays later, you're down 17 nothing. So they're going to come locked in against Detroit and be ready. But this is a Detroit Lions team that showed me against San Francisco that they got some fight. They're, they got some fight, but they're a rebuilding team. But yeah. the one thing that they're going to do that Green Bay is going to have to find an answer to is they're going to run Jonathan uh, Williams and DeAndre Smith. They're going to run them, and they got to find a way to stop. If they're able to stop those guys and make Jared Goff beat you by throwing the ball thirty or thirty-five times without using the threat of a play-action pass, then this shouldn't be a fair fight. If not, they're going to be in for a long day because contrary to popular belief, Detroit plays Green Bay very well. They don't win all the time, but they play them very well. They play them tight-knit and close. I expect it to be another tight-knit game. If Green Bay goes down 0-2, heads will fly very early. Buffalo, big game against the Dolphins because they can easily go 0-2 or they can split it up 1-1. Miami has a stout secondary. Miami has a stout pass rush buffalo what they need to do is trust that they did what they needed to do in the offseason by making sure the running game was more diverse and multiverse and not just rely on josh allen's legs to be your only source of a rushing attack they ran singletary a little bit in the third quarter last week against pittsburgh and they got yards they just didn't run him enough if you go out there you get to miami and think we're going to throw the football 35 40 times with josh allen you will lose and go back to Buffalo 0-2. Establishing balance for Buffalo is important in Miami. They're able to do that. They can get a win. Also, don't turn the ball over as well and execute in the red zone. If they're not balanced, they don't execute in the red zone and turn the ball over, they're going to go down 0-2 in this trendy dark, not even a dark horse, this trendy hot team that everybody penciled in as an AFC title game contender with Kansas City is 0-2. Mm. And being 0-2 in the AFC East this year isn't like being 0-2 last year during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Miami's better. New England's better. And the Jets are even better, as bad as they are. They will have fight, too. So big games for Buffalo and Green Bay in the division. You know what? I I, I don't I don't want to keep going back. 
but great point. Uh, and Buffalo, you know, another story that's not getting told um, or talked about enough, I don't think, is Buffalo's COVID-19 vaccination problem. Like, they got a serious vaccination thing that that, that kind of freaks me out. And I, I'm I'm high on Buffalo. I think that I, can't, I came into the season thinking that they're going to be one of the better teams in the AFC, obviously. But the you you bring up a great point about the running game um and them being a little bit um, more balanced and more lean uh offensively uh but they got a real vaccination problem and you know hopefully and i don't want to wish anything on nobody but hopefully they're able to withstand or uh or stay away from a from a from an outbreak but like with with their particular situation if a guy catches covid and you know there's an outbreak um, that could, that could potentially lose them a game, you know. That could, they would have to forfeit a game. So Buffalo, it's a lot of dynamics with them that kind of worries me. It's it's a bit worrisome. I do think they will get back on track, but in terms of them needing a win, I do think they need a win. Uh, and like and you brought up a great point, uh, like schematically on the field, offensively with running the football. Yes, I agree. The vaccination thing is also an eyebrow razor, and it gives me cause for pause. But uh, thank you, uh, Cam Bowie, for coming on once again. Great. I'm sure people will love it. Uh, I, I, you know, Saturday episode, so this is going to drop, you know, you know, Saturday drop ep- episode right before week two. Uh, I greatly appreciate you coming on, giving, giving us your knowledge, obviously, uh, continue to do great things up at PFF. Um, like I said, I will leave the link in the description to your article that you did, your first article that you did last week on the Browns and Chiefs game that was well written. Uh, so definitely big shout out to you. Uh, and like I said, thank you. And I, I greatly appreciate you coming on, uh, you know, sharing, giving us some of your time and your knowledge. Yeah, man, anytime. Oh, it's always great to be on your platform and talk football and basketball. Hope to be back again throughout the season. Yes. As a moderator of topics and situations arise. But, you know, just thank you for this opportunity. And, you know, keep doing your thing on the podcast room as well. Got great content. And um, I just want you to keep growing and evolving with that on your end. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I, I try. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I'm gonna wrap it up right here. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, be sure I will li- like I said, I will, like I always do when, when Bumani, when Cambui Cam comes on, I will leave Cambui's link to his podcast, but also his article, uh, that he did with PFF, uh, newest member. So big shout out to him, but I'm gonna leave it right here. Thank you guys for tuning in once again to another episode. Uh, I catch you guys next week. Enjoy the games. Enjoy some college football on Saturday as well. I catch you guys. Peace. Deuces. I'm out.